and welcome everyone to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm Patrick Hart, and today I'm joined by my classmate, Mara Chapman, and you're listening to our show, What to Be, where we interview inspiring people and highlight their careers. What to Be is a program provided by Your Future is Our Business, a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students explore careers through programs such as college and career expos, panels, and other work-based learning activities. Please note that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Future is Our Business. The information provided during this program does not reflect its career in its entirety. And today we're joined by Cabrillo College President, Matt Wettstein. Thank you, Matt, for taking the time to help us do this interview today. Well, thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Mara. Great to be here. Awesome. Matt, do you mind telling us some of your background and how you became president of Cabrillo College? Sure. It's a, I mean, it's a story that goes way back to in college. I was a student who majored in political science and did a lot of work on the college newspaper when I was going through college and became a journalist right out of college on small weekly newspapers in Illinois, where I was born and raised. Worked for about two and a half years doing that work and really enjoyed it. But I also felt like I could really be a good college teacher. And so I went when I applied for graduate school, I applied for graduate programs in journalism and graduate programs in political science and ended up choosing political science. Went to Northern Illinois University, became a you know, master's and PhD in political science and became a teacher right after that. Ended up in California moving here. My, my, then my girlfriend got a job at University of the Pacific in Stockton, California. And we both had just finished our PhD degrees, both in political science, both from the same university. And I got a job offer at University of Evansville in Southern Southern Indiana, where I had been teaching for a year. And so we both kind of looked at our job offers and I I said, you know what, Uh, looking at a map, there were so many colleges and universities within driving distance of Stockton, where Pacific is, that I said, "Let's, let's move to California. Long story short, became a teacher at San Joaquin Delta College in Stockton, the, you know, sort of the equivalent of Cabrillo Community College, loved it, and then uh, just became a dean. Uh, at some point, I, w- I became interested in being the vice president, did that for about six years, and then when I interviewed for Cabrillo, this is like three and a half years ago, just really fell in love with the place and got lucky to have one of the best jobs I could imagine. So here I am, President Cabrillo. Awesome. Thanks for that. Thank you. Yeah, I have a question about your main duties and responsibilities as Cabrillo president, and then also how that has changed during coronavirus. Oh, boy. Gosh, under, <laughs> the job description is to the, way to, the way I like to say it is sort of like running a small business with 600 employees, about 900 total when you start totaling up the part-time employees. So all of the functions related to hiring, organizing the college, staffing, following law, policy and regulations and ensuring we're in compliance with those. Setting the plan and vision for the college. So uh, long range future planning, strategic planning, and having the, the college and its units are organized around those plans and mission. Um, I think also, you know, some of the 
Some of the things that I do are very outward facing, community oriented. So I, I serve on a lot of advisory boards in the community to make sure that the college is connected. So examples of that, I'm a member of the Santa Cruz County Chamber of Commerce, the Santa Cruz County Business Council, Santa Cruz Symphony, I'm on that board. The United Way, I go to a rotary every week in Aptos Capitola. I'm also pretty tied in with the K-12 superintendents. So we partner with a lot of the school districts in the county. So I have to be in a lot of those meetings as well. So in, uh, and then the other thing is just being a, a representative of the college and helping to raise money for our foundation. So I serve on the foundation board for Cabrillo College. And we, we live in a, a place where a lot of people are very supportive of the college. So that's one of the more fun parts of the job is, is being out in the community and seeing how willing people are to support our students. You know, and then finally, I, occasional things that deal with uh, hiring, discipline, whether it's student discipline or, or even employee discipline are, are sort of the, I don't know, the worst parts of the job. Nobody likes, likes it when they're in trouble. So having to have that role occasionally is part of the job as well. But the main thing that I miss the most in terms of what's changed since COVID, I really missed coming on campus and sort of walking into the cafeteria and interacting with students. Uh, that has been really hard. And I know it's hard for students, particularly the social aspect of being on a campus and, be, and seeing friends and hanging out or studying in groups. I miss that. I miss uh, the face-to-face -face meetings, um, Zoom, is all day, all, all night. Zoom land is uh, very difficult and stressing, I think, for people. So staying upbeat and, and staying positive and keeping everybody, the morale high is, has been one of the challenges of working under COVID. And then the other part that's different under COVID, I will say, is a lot of the federal stimulus support, so relief bills that have come from Congress and making sure that we're directing the resources to the right place. So making sure students get emergency funding and grants through our financial aid office, buying the technology that we need to help students get laptops or Chromebooks or resources they need to stay in school. And then other equipment that we need just for our own staff to keep doing what they're doing now in Zoomland or on Canvas, and training for in professional development for our teachers and our staff. So. That's been really different and a different workload and a real challenge for some of our units to just stay on top of that money, spend it, get it out the door so people can use those resources. Thank you, Matt. And as someone who had been out of school for so long, coming back to Cabrillo, I was definitely, there were some nerves, but I couldn't be more impressed with the teachers and all the support from the people behind the scenes they really seem to care a lot about us students and especially like during this time, you know, I don't think it's easy for any of us, but I was wondering, you have a PhD. When did you, and you were teaching, when did you know that you wanted to, did you always know you wanted to become a principal? I guess. No, no, I didn't. And uh, I'm, I'm chuckling and smiling a little bit. I taught for, gosh, I started teaching in 1993. So that was when I got my graduate degree, my PhD. 
and I taught for a little bit in the Midwest and then moved out here and was, I was a part-time faculty member for six, well, it was really, well, gosh, almost 18 months. So I was teaching for a while at Cal State Stanislaus part-time. I was at University of Pacific part-time before I got a job full-time at the community college. And I loved it. And particularly in election years, teaching American government and U.S. politics, couldn't think of a better job coming out of graduate school and what I was trained in. So I did that for about eight years and a job opened up at my former institution at Delta College in Stockton called Dean of Research and Planning. And I looked at the job description. The guy, this guy was leaving the college to go to law school and just leaving his job. Looked at the job description and it had a, a bunch of things related to applied research, uh, knowing quantitative methods, how to, how to gather statistics, reporting, reporting to the federal government, reporting to the state. And I thought, man, this is, the skill set was very much in line with the kind of research I was doing. And I had done research in graduate school and coming out publishing us on stuff on abortion politics in the U.S. states. And I'd also started working on research with my wife on Supreme Court of Canada. So I had a lot of empirical background and statistical training. So I took a stab at that job, loved it, did it for several years. And then I returned to the faculty to teach again. And then the job opened up again. So I, I took it, uh, um, I stepped back into that role around 1990, let's see, when was it? 96, I guess, or excuse me, 2006. From there, I just really had a really good relationship with the vice president at that time at that college. And when she became president of the college, I went and talked to her and I said, hey, I'm thinking about applying for your old job and ended up getting it. And so I worked with a really good mentor. Her name was Kathy Hart, just a super personality. She was really good at developing people, letting them grow professionally. And we worked together probably for 15 years in different, like she was a dean and I was a dean. Then she became vice president, I was a dean. And then when she became president, I was a vice president. So a very close relationship working and just learned a lot from her. And after about five years as vice president, I kind of went to her and I said, hey, I, I'm thinking about maybe applying for some president gigs. And there was this national fellowship program that I wanted to apply for. And she said, do it, apply for it. I'll write a letter of support. I got into it. it that helped me immensely because I, I learned really how to think about institutions from a different perspective. I had been thinking from a, like an academic perspective, overseeing all the faculty on the instruction side. And that being in that fellowship gave me uh, eyes into what does it mean to be a president now overseeing student services and the, I knew the institutional research part of it. So, so I never thought, it's funny, I never thought when I was teaching I would become a, a president. But I, as I grew older and as I matured in these jobs and, and liked them, it became more attractive to me as I went through my career. And here I am. And so it's been really fun to, to see that progression from changing to, from somebody who just thought he was going to teach all his life to, oh my gosh, I'm president now. How did that happen? Thanks, Matt. And it sure seems like you have the right education background and skill set for the job too. Thanks. I have a question about 
Cabrillo in general. It's been tough on students and staff alike with the virus, just being in, you know, you had mentioned how the social aspect and being on Zoom has been tough on people. So I wonder if you have a timeline for when school will be back in session. So far right now, what we've planned is the entire spring is through uh, mostly online and remote delivery of service. We do have face-to-face -face classes. For example, I was just over at Cessnon House, so culinary arts, you have to do that face-to-face. -face. You've got to have the hands-on experience, right? So we have a bunch of classes that are operating under what we call difficult to convert safety plans. So they're difficult to convert to online. They have to be face-to-face. -face. So things in the dental hygiene, for example, nursing, uh, radiologic technology, welding, horticulture, and culinary arts. The, even in um, programs like dance, drama, and painting, they still have some largely online, but they still come in and have some face-to-face -face delivery. But the plan is for this spring to continue with mostly online, the same for the summer, uh, because we don't know how quickly the vaccination rollout will become more universal and getting closer to uh, what's called herd immunity. And even going into the fall, right now the plan is for fall to continue with that plan. What I'm beginning to have conversations with, Mara, is um, with our cabinet and with our emergency operations team is to begin thinking about how much can we shift back to face-to-face -face in the fall semester. Because what we're hearing from students is they, particularly the ones who are dropping classes and, and not re-enrolling, is that they're, they're voting with their feet and they're, they're saying they don't like the online environment. They want to have that face-to-face -face interaction. So that's one of the highest, one of the largest responses that we get when we surveyed students last fall about why did you drop classes or why did you drop out? they're saying that one of the main factors is just i don't like the platform um, it's harder harder for them the other component is that students are really and this is they should be doing this they're focusing on their economic survival and so if it's a choice between whatever part-time work they can cobble together or staying in work in school i get i understand students making that choice so enrollment is down for many reasons, for economic reasons. And the other component of it is that the fires in August and September really hurt enrollment. And students had to just deal with, I mean, really life-changing event of I'm losing my home or having to evacuate. So I'm very sensitive to the stress and, have, and one of my constant messages in talking to faculty and staff and the managers here is to show grace and patience with students and with each other. We're, we are all under a stress of this COVID pandemic, uh, which is forcing all of this online delivery. And then layered on top of that is the economic recession accompanied with the, the pandemic. And then layered on top of that then is the natural disaster of fire and now potentials for floods and debris flow up in the north end of the county. So it's probably a long, answer to a simple question, when are we coming back? But my hope is that if vaccinations roll out really well through the spring and summer, 
that we can pivot very quickly to have more face-to-face in the fall, but right now we just cannot plan that way. Because if you start looking at, well, you guys know the news stories on vaccinations and the shortages and how that is not going well at this moment. And the real failure of the prior administration to do national planning on that score has hampered our ability to be thinking about returning fully in the fall. So I think spring of 22, sounds so far away, but spring of 22 is probably when we're back to quote-unquote normal, whatever that means, with more face-to-face and and service delivery on campus. Uh, So people are going to have to be patient. I do think, though, that if we get lucky with vaccines, we can make decisions to open up a lot more on campus in the fall semester, if we're lucky. Fingers crossed. Thank you, Matt. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to the What To Be Show at KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM and streaming at ksqd.org. I'm Patrick Hart and today I'm joined by my classmate Mara Chapman and we're speaking with Cabrillo President Matt Wettstein. And Matt, I was wondering what does your day or week look like and how has that changed over the past year? Yeah, it probably hasn't changed much in terms of the kinds of appointments that I have. I Zoom now under COVID, you know, it's Zoom meetings all day, pretty much from 8.30 in the morning until sometimes seven at night. Most of the times between five and seven, there might be community meetings that I'm in, or I might listen in on a, um, an elected official's phone call or county health phone call, something like that. Often there are professional development things that I'm doing at night. I had talked earlier about a fellowship program I was in with the Aspen Institute in um, Aspen, Colorado. They have regular webinars that I attend frequently at night that are pretty much they bring together community college presidents from around the country to just talk about issues in a space where we don't have to worry about what we say leaving the room. And it's a way to exchange advice, talk through different problems that we might be having on our campuses and different solutions or approaches. And then, so daily meetings, I have regular meetings with my vice presidents and people who report directly to me once a week. We also have a group meeting every Tuesday morning uh, that I call our cabinet meeting. So it's about seven of us around a, a, a table, if we're in person or in a Zoom room that is uh, going through an agenda that we've built throughout the prior week of issues we want to talk about, whether it's hiring certain positions or talking about budget, talking about, for example, we were talking today about how do we spend money strategically from the latest federal government stimulus bill. So we have those meetings Tuesday morning, and then this afternoon it was um, a meeting with a scholar from another institution for a half hour, a meeting with a dean about the performing arts spaces on campus and a staff member. Uh, I attended the faculty senate meeting and now I'm talking to you for an after work meeting to just talk about my career. I appreciate that. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. One more question about the vaccine. Will there be some sort of hybrid model such as online versus in-person for students that have the vaccine versus students that don't? And would students be required to have the vaccine before returning to classes? Yeah, that's one of the things we're talking about, Mara. And actually, I think 
the way that most community college I, colleges, I think, will land on this is to require students to have proof of vaccination before returning to campus. There are ways that students can have reasonable accommodations around that. So for some, some students and their families, there might be religious objections, for example, to vaccination. And there might be medical accommodations that are required by law, for example, under the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. But I think most colleges in our system in California are going to require students to have proof in the way that, you know, you have to have proof of vaccinations to enroll in public schools generally. The harder question is, and it's a legal question, sort of ethical and policy question of how to treat employees on the same question. There's a school of thought that just as students should be required to get vaccinated, so should staff and faculty. And in doing that, you ensure the safety of all involved and reduce the spread, obviously, of variants of the, of the transmission of variants of the pandemic of COVID. On the other hand, you know, the same kinds of accommodations need to be there for faculty, staff, as they would be for students. So there's some legal consultation that has to go on for that question to be solved. I know as soon as I get called for a vaccine, I'm in there right away because I, I just am a believer in the science. And, you know, I have family, a mom who was a nurse, two sisters who are nurses. I've got a nephew who's a army surgeon. And I think one of the unfortunate patterns of the last, the Trump administration, from my perspective, was a, a disregard for the science around public health and vaccination protocols generally. And that whole questioning of it and questioning of things like masks and wearing a mask has really not done our country a good service, in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I think students should get vaccinated, and I think the, the system will probably come down with some guidance that says students should be required for vaccination. And in some of our programs, it's absolutely mandated. You cannot, for example, enroll in nursing or enroll in dental hygiene or programs like radiologic technology without getting vaccinated. So if you're working in or want to work in the healthcare industry, that's just going to be a requirement no bones about it. Matt, I was wondering, why is being a president of a community college important to you and to society? One of the things I like to talk about from this is it's both personal and then I, I want to take it up to a sort of a society level. Personally, it's important to me because I saw how important community college was for my mom and for my dad. So my mom had nine kids in 14 years. So we had a big Catholic family, right? Just huge, a lot of fun. It was also the case that my dad had gotten into an apprenticeship program at a local community college. He was able to become a, a union carpenter because of that community college program, even before he graduated. My mom went back to school after having all these kids at the age of 34 and got her nursing degree at the local community college. So as a, an institution of higher education, I saw how important it was because it basically took our family as kind of a hard, hard you know, blue collar working class family that was not wealthy at all to 
into the middle class because my mom could work once we were all in school. That was an important lesson because, you know, if you're growing up as a kid and I was 10 years old and I'm doing homework and my mom's doing homework across the table from me, you want to talk about the importance of education coming through loud and clear, it, that was a great lesson. From a society level, these colleges are an American innovation and they're often referred to as democracy's college. And so if you think about the role of community colleges in our landscape, they're not Harvard. They're not the Ivy elite institutions of how colleges and universities were founded, for example, in Europe. They were, those colleges are designed and were designed largely to serve the wealthy, white, privileged elite of society. They still have that, largely that imprimatur of, of being elite institutions. So community colleges were created to allow for upward social mobility, uh, for individuals from all walks of life to come in, open access, and have a shot and have an opportunity to better themselves, get a degree, maybe transfer and get a higher degree and go on like I did to a, a PhD. So when you are working at a community college, you're working at Democracy's College. And the most important thing for me is to see students have that ability to come in and transform themselves and lift their family and their own well-being up and be socially upward mobile uh, and move into good jobs, go on and get great degrees and become excellent citizens. So to me, the value of these institutions is just transformative. And they are so much more important to society than any elite institution can be. And so that's kind of why I'm proud to work here. It's part resonating from my own family history and part recognizing the, the understanding and the history of the community college in the American higher ed landscape. Thank you, Matt, for what I think was an excellent response and very meaningful. I appreciate that. Very inspiring. Thank you. And thank you for all your answers. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank Great you. Great answers. Matt, is there anything you would like to leave us with? Well, the one thing I would say, and this is particularly relevant to thinking of, you know, the what to be and, and thinking of your future as your business, you know, one of the sponsors of this. I, I'm sitting here probably, I think I counted once, this is my 14th job in terms of different title. And if I go back to my teenage years and when I was a, a swimmer and a lifeguard, lifeguard was sort of my first formal job. And then I was a, a swimming coach, a security guard, a newspaper reporter, editor, teacher, professor, dean, vice president, now president. There are so many different kind of choices that I've, been, that I've made throughout my career and my trajectory that anyone who's young, you know, in their teens or in their young 20s, you're going to go through a career and have these choices of routes that you might take or might not take. And so the best way to go through that, at least in my opinion, is to have a really good education under your belt. And I benefited from a liberal arts education, a small Catholic college, and then I went to a big state university for my graduate degrees. And I will say that, in, to your credit, Patrick and Mara, both of you, for being interested in journalism and writing, 
being a journalist, even just for two and a half years at a weekly newspaper, I wrote so much and I wrote so much on deadline that has always been good for me throughout my entire career because you never stop writing, whether it's reports or presentations or, or essays or graduation speeches, whatever it is. And that journalism training that I got as a student, coupled with liberal arts and critical thinking and a political science training, it's paid so many dividends to me throughout my life. So I often want to say to people who are studying journalism, you don't know how important the skills you're getting are until you look back like 30 years later and see the way that your career might go. And that skill of writing quickly to deadline and making it coherent and making people understand it really well and fast is so important to so many different jobs. So you're, you're making good choices in the kind of career that you want to follow. Thank you, Matt. That was very inspiring. And thank you again for taking the time to help us out by doing this interview. You're most welcome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Good and to meet you, by the way. Nice to meet you guys. Thanks. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's career story with me, Patrick Hart, and my co-host for today, Mara Chapman, on our show, What to Be, with today's guest, Matt Westing, who is the president of Cabrillo College. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, please send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM, KSQD Santa Cruz, at 7 p.m. on Sundays, and streaming online at ksqd.org. Or you can look us up on major podcasting streaming platforms like Spotify. Please visit our website at yfiob.org for more information about your future as our business. Thank you and see you next time.